Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks, two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Michael King. Michael, do you want to say hi? Hey, how's it going, everybody? Now, you, you've got an interesting story. You kind of put a little bit of a synopsis in when you booked the appointment. I'm really looking forward to it. But before we do that, do you want to just introduce yourself, let people know where you work, what you're working on, that kind of thing? Yeah, so yeah, my name is Michael. I was a big language learner, so I'm a big language learner, um, natural languages in Spanish, Chinese, and Portuguese. Uh, Spanish was, my, was kind of like my passion for a while. And uh, I always learned through television and music and language exchange. And then I, one day, got really frustrated with it. I decided that I wanted to build a build an app that did this. So then, not knowing what the hell I was getting into, I decided to try it and start doing it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so here I am, uh, two years later. I've built all of our all of our stuff. Learned lots of valuable lessons. Still learning valuable lessons. We'll learn many valuable lessons. But um, yeah. Interesting. Sounds good. Well, yeah, you, you mentioned, and, and this gets into how you got into code, which is usually where I like to start. You mentioned in the synopsis that you hired a developer and then realized that you had no idea what the developer was doing and determined that you needed to know more. Definitely. definitely. Needed to understand code. So how, how do you make that transition? Because I have a lot of friends that hire programmers. They never do figure out what they're doing. They just kind of go with it, right? So, so yeah, why, why are you different? What, what made you decide, no, I, I need to get this? I've always been the type of person where I'm either like, I'm either not interested in something at all or I'm very interested in it. Right. And I've always been a self-learner. So growing up in classes, I would sit in the back, not pay attention, but read my textbook the whole time, uh-huh. do work. So I guess it was very interesting to me because I've always been very good at math. And, and math, actually, the way now that I'm thinking about it, the way it started was really interesting is I was sitting there with, another, with a software developer and we were working together like just for the first few days and mm-hmm. his computer broke. So we were sitting there. Yeah, we were sitting there and his computer breaks and we're the only, the only option we have is these my computer. So for the first like day or two, we're like, I'm like watching him code basically. And I'm like, what, like I could do this. Like, this is like really, this is right up my alley. Like, this is like, he's like writing all these variables and like doing this and that. And like, like I love math. Like I was, I was a math major in college or starting out as a math major. I ended up as a Spanish literature major, but that's another story. And you know, I've always had a very technical skill set, languages. So coding was right in between math and languages. I was like, right. And I was having all these communication issues. Like I would say something to him and I would be like, this is what we want to build. And he'd be like, well, what do you mean? Like, what is this? And I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And then there'd be these like back and forth where like, I didn't understand these key things. I was like, okay, like I, I need to do this myself. So right. I'm not really sure what makes me different, but I just dove into it. And uh, actually I tried once before that with Python and for like a month, so just with Udacity, and I got really bored quickly. And then uh-huh. I had this other developer, and then he was using Ruby and Rails. And I, when I tried with Rails again, Rails made it very easy for me to really kind of like peel the onion. I got what I wanted. I could see results really fast, and it kind of, my brain's kind of like a trigger reward type of like, I saw that, I was like, I could build something, I liked it. I was like, oh, I'm keep going. And then I just kept figuring it out. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 
And it's interesting. I mean, you talk about different uh, languages, uh, natural languages, and it's it's funny because, yeah, in some ways I see the correlation and in other ways I really don't. I mean, I, you know, just to give you a little bit of background for me, I took six years of French, you know, in junior high and high school. And uh, then I went on a Mormon mission to Italy and learned Italian. So I speak fluent Italian, came back and got a minor in Italian, which was really also really fascinating and interesting. And so, yeah, in some ways it makes sense, you know, just looking at some of the correlations. And in other ways, it's like, no, it's it's much closer to the engineering mathematical end of things. So yeah, I, I get what you're coming from. And I, I find it also fascinating that it's like, you know, your your mindset, your outlook on things where it's like, no, I really need to understand this. Yeah, it's one of those, I'm reading this book right now called E-Myth Revisited, where they talk about this manager yeah. technician and the entrepreneur and transfer roles to somebody else. You really have to understand, like those are the technicians. You have to, you have to really understand the technician's role in order to delegate the position to him. Otherwise, there's a huge disconnect. And I saw that immediately and I, it's, yeah. We go ahead, but was just to respond to what you were saying about this uh, languages and math thing. I think the difference between languages and math, I mean, and, and coding is that there's much less vocabulary in coding and yes. much more like grammar. These concepts are much more uh, heavy and you, can, you don't have to memorize this vocabulary and there's not people that are like talking to you. You don't have to like get it on the fly. So there's much less pressure. That's another, I guess that's another topic, but that's a really interesting, uh, a lot of interesting things to explore there. Yeah, definitely. And I could geek out on it all day, but but I'm, we're here to get your story. So you decide, okay, I got to understand this. So did you let your developer go and then go learn it yourself? Or did you keep that guy around for a little while? And Yeah, so I let him go. Out or what? I let him go. He was on a, he was a, freelance, a freelance guy. It was actually, this guy is from, um, from Veracruz, Mexico. And uh-huh. we just saw him on a part-time basis. And I kept in contact with him. And uh, I... I started coding it myself. I had another friend that also knew Ruby and Rails, so I was bouncing questions off of both of them. Uh-huh. A big, big uh, theme throughout this was me asking lots of people questions. Right. I would, uh, I would hire a developer for like a few days or something, and then I would to get help, and then I would um, ask them. I would end up just asking for me a relationship with them, become a friendly relationship, and I would ask them lots of questions, and then they would help. They would point me in the right direction, and uh, it just kind of snowballed, and I just kept on building and building. And at the end of all of this, ironically, I realized that what I should have done was not build anything and just designed from the very uh-huh. beginning. But uh, that's another, that's another good lesson that I learned. But um, so what do you mean designed just giving them like mock-ups of what you wanted or. Yeah. Well, I guess for, if I had to start this whole process over, what I would have done was drawn out exactly what I wanted on a sheet of paper and prototype that in front of people instead uh-huh. of building all of this and trying to design. I had no idea about design, no idea about product development. I would have just made these, these sheets of paper put them in front of people, gotten reactions, and then gotten a designer probably to make good, good UX design. It's a big, huge, very important because as somebody was telling me the other day that he's this guy that works with my friend who works with this company that they spent a million dollars on this piece of software. And then the company was like, oh, that's not what we wanted. Like that's not, it doesn't do what we wanted. And it's just like, it just makes a lot of sense that uh, it's, just, it's very counterintuitive when you first go into it. You don't really think about the importance of design. Uh-huh. You think that like a good coding is everything, blah, blah, blah. And um, it's not really the case. Yeah, I, I can definitely identify with that. I was a freelancer for full-time for six years. And yeah, yeah, I'd get told what they wanted. I'd go build what they wanted. And then they'd come back and say, that's not what we wanted. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's terrible. And yeah, I'd, I'd be pushing for feedback. But clients just aren't naturally bent to give you 
routine feedback. Yeah. They don't understand like why they want, they're giving this feedback. They, yeah. they think just, I thought it would just be perfect. Like, oh, it should be perfect the first time. Like, there's no, it's yeah. an act. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, so why Ruby? Why Ruby on Rails? It was just some friends that you knew or? My friend helped me get started. He knew Ruby on Rails and it was just because he knew how to do it. And I didn't really understand the difference between frameworks and languages and like what was mm-hmm. what. And I was just impatient trying to get started as quickly as possible. I just graduated from college and I was like, you know, I had, I had a little bit of funding from a tiny bit of funding from uh, somebody and I was just trying to get going fast and uh, probably the wrong way to look to go about the decision. I ended up happy. I'm happy that I learned with Rails. I didn't even know the difference between mobile frameworks and, and, and web frameworks. Like in retrospect, I was very dumb. I, like, <laughs> I guess like most, I wasn't dumb. It was just like uneducated on the subject. Yeah. Yeah, people say dumb. I usually inexperienced is a better word for that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I learned a little bit of Python, and I just never really nothing about it. Just didn't really. Uh, it was just kind of boring, and like I didn't. I was also going to Udacity, and I didn't really. I didn't understand how this connected to actually building an app. Mm-hmm. So when I when I got with Ruby, not only was Ruby amazing, like just like very like uh, very just smooth. Rails was also let me see why I was learning what I was learning. Whereas with Python and Udacity, I was doing these tasks. With Rails, I was building exactly the, the features that I wanted. And right. it's very exciting. I really got addicted to that process of uh, not addicted, but uh, you know, I really dove into that, to, to the Rails way and the, the Ruby syntax. Of, uh, it just it spoke to me. I don't know. No, that makes sense. That, that's really what kind of got me into it as well. And I had done some PHP and things like that, just played with them beforehand. And when I got into Rails, it was just like, wow, this just kind of naturally flows into the way that I want to work on this stuff. And I'm able to get stuff done quickly. And, you know, I've, I've heard different explanations for that that I don't know that I want to go into. But yeah, I, I kind of get where you're, what, what, what you're putting down there. So what have you worked on with Ruby then? Was it, is it just this project or have you done other things or? It, it's just this project. It's been a year and a half of, of coding and lots of different features. So the, our whole thing is based off of a text processing pipeline where whatever type of content it is with text and we parse uh-huh. that against the frequency list of of the most so like in every language like there's thousands and thousands and thousands of words but 300 or 65 percent of the language thousands 85 percent 2092 percent blah, blah, blah. right basically given a limitization list of inflections that map the base words and a frequency list we have to take in the text and map it and find out the most important words based off of the learner's history uh-huh. and so that's for like vocabulary and then for grammar we have to have all these tag formulas for each grammar point that map the given a combination of a sentence in the words in the sentence we have to find the grammar the concept formulas i call them the the grammar formulas that that match the sentence and so that was that took a lot of time probably like that probably took like four or five months of time and then there was a lot of just application building and building different building the screens out as i learned about design i had a friend design some stuff and then i would implement the designs everything that it takes to build like a full-fledged web app at that time only did I realize at the end that we needed to build a mobile app after like a, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of, a lot of web app building front end and back end of. I'm a little curious and, and maybe we'll make this crossover between uh, my Ruby story and my JavaScript story. You mentioned that you built the mobile app and I think in your little synopsis of your, your journey there, you, you picked up React Native to do that. Yes, yes. So basically, when I, when I realized that mobile app was the only viable way forward for a consumer-facing product, a friend of mine and I designed the web app into just the admin app. So we just we made that, we just, all of the functionality is still usable. We just made it for the admin stuff. And uh-huh. uh, we just set up like a few API controllers in the web app 
and had set up a React Native app through that made HTTP calls to the to the Rails app. Right. I got some a friend of my friend does React Native stuff, and he helped me for the first two weeks get the basics of the app set up, and we got a prototype going and got a little bit more funding with that prototype. And then I've been building with the help of another of him every now and then we've been building the rest of the, uh, of the mobile app. So yeah, it's been react native is a whole nother uh, endeavor there. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, how did you settle on react native? It was just that again, that you knew somebody. So no, in the beginning it was because I knew that it had iOS and Android capability and we're starting with Spanish, Spanish language. And we knew that, that uh, our, our market was mostly going to have iOS, but I also really want to teach English as the second language. And that's mostly an Android market. And I was not completely sure on how difficult it would be to create different, you know, for those platforms. And uh, I knew that React Native has this ability to do both. So I, I, it seemed like a very logical, a logical choice at the time. Yeah, I, know, I know that it's a little bit extra work still to do, like we haven't released the Android part yet, but uh, I haven't started working on that yet. But uh, seems simpler. Yeah, makes sense. I, I'm a little curious, you know, given your experience with Ruby, why you didn't go with something like Ruby Motion? First of all, I didn't know anybody that, that could help me with it. But right. Second, it didn't seem like there was much information on how I could do that. I, I looked into it a little bit. I didn't. I didn't spend too much time because it seemed like it was kind of. I I didn't get the vibe that this was something that was going to be easy to for me to learn and maintain and find people that could help me with it. It seemed like right. I was doing it very on my own, and that was. Uh, yeah, given like how much I relied on the people for the for my learning, I just it seemed like a scary endeavor or just not a not the most logical choice at the time. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh so yeah, so is that your main focus now is the React Native or what are you working on now? React Native uh, right now for the last month and for the next probably month, no no more no building, just just designing and prototyping and putting it in front of people. Cause I learned my lesson that the hard way. So I just I built the React Native just to get get a prototype that I could get a little bit more funding with. And then mm-hmm. I'm doing it the right way this time or what I think is the right way. I don't, there's no right way, obviously. Designing everything and making sure that we know exactly what we're building for. And luckily, all the logic on that web app is reusable. So that'll be nice that I don't have to. It's just it'll be more mostly interface building and uh, making API goals. Cool. So for entrepreneurs, you know, let, let's say people who are, you know, most of my audience is going to be coming at it the other way, right? They already know how to program. They want to start a business. Do you have any advice for people as they get something like this rolling? Definitely. Um, to get stuff together? I mean, if I had to do this all again, it doesn't really matter what they're building or what they're trying to do. If I had to start a new business, and this happens every day, I think, oh, I can start this business with that business. And I'm like, oh, this is how I would do it. And, so, and I get so excited about like, uh, like everything would make so much more sense. I would, just, I would literally just draw it on paper and just try to figure out how I could just make the smallest possible you know kind of the mvp but like really really lean so i would just like if we're building a business for i don't know bowl-based foods this isn't an app but i would just try to sell food to my friends or uh, and see how i could do that from there yeah i would just really start mm-hmm. and just and just try to get validation as soon as possible without without building too much depending on how much they know they could probably just build a prototype with whatever they're you know if it only takes a few weeks and they know how to design something you know decent then they should do that but uh, yeah. I would not spend a lot of time on it. Just like, you know, get validation very quickly. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I've been working on my own software as a service offering for podcasters. And yeah, you know, I've been talking to a lot of podcasters because they're, they basically want to know how I do things. Not necessarily that they're interested in this particular software, just, you know, because I produce, well, for the network, we produce 15 shows every week. 
And, uh, you know, so anyway, so they see that. And then I start talking to them about this, this software that I'm working on. And yeah, it seems like there are like three main problems. And so if I can solve those three main problems, then a lot of the rest of it kind of works itself out. And so, yeah, that's my MVP. So those three main problems, are those things that everybody that you think, or is, there, is it generally, do, do podcasters agree with you on that? The, most podcasters agree with me. So usually the, the main concerns are either around monetization or production. But uh, it, as soon as you involve other people, that, that's a real pain point. And a lot of podcasts involve guests and scheduling guests. And like I got an email today from John Papa, who's on our View podcast and our Angular podcast. And you know he and Dan Walleen and Ward Bell are setting up new JavaScript Real Talk, I think is the name of their podcast, or Real Talk JavaScript. One of the two. But anyway, so they're starting a new show and he's scheduling guests. And I got this email and it, the, the subject is podcast scheduling and the body is, how do you do it today? I'm drowning in it because I told him about the, the thing that I'm building. And uh, you know I have other systems working right now until I get this system up and running, hopefully within the next week, because it's a pain for me too. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a common issue uh, where, I mean, if it's just you or just you and a co-host and you don't have guests, that's a different thing because you, you just coordinate schedules with one other person. But the second you're trying to bring other people in, it gets complicated. It's an interesting, like it's a very different problem than what, I, than, like, what I'm solving for sure. So it's like, yeah. So some of the validation that I've done is primarily just talking to people. Like I went to podcast movement and I talked to a bunch of people. I've talked to a bunch of people online because like I said, I get asked for podcasting advice on a regular basis. And yeah, you know, I start talking about some of these things. And as soon as they get started, if they're doing guests, the first thing they come back to me with is, what are you doing for scheduling? Because this is killing me. Because sending an email, hey, are you interested in coming on the show? Getting an email back? Yes. Okay. Um, here's my Calendly link or my Schedule Once link, or you know what, you know, list me a couple times that work for you. You know, by the time you get everything lined up, it's like four or five emails back and forth each, yeah. and it's just you know it takes a ton of time. And instead, if you know you want them on the show, it's easier just to send them an email that says, "Are you interested in the show? If so, here are a couple of times that'll work," and then they can just pick the regular recording time that they want. And then it might get a little more complicated if it's well, I'm in Europe. And so that time is like, you know, 2 a.m. for me or something, right? Then, yeah. then you can start having the other conversation of, okay, when can you make it? And then can we get, you know, so in my case, I do panel discussion podcasts. So then I have to go back to my co-hosts and say, co-hosts, are you free at this time? And if I can't get enough people on, then it's like, okay, well, we're either going to do a one-on-one -on -one interview or we're going to pick a different time. And I do. I want to automate all of that so that the second that they say, yes, I want to come on the show, we just shepherd them through the whole process. And then afterward, you still have to do some follow-up, right? So it's, hey, what should we do to prepare for your episode? What kinds of things have you already done with this stuff? And just to gather that, you know, so that it does automatically gathers that information. And then a few days before the episode is recorded, it emails me and my co-host and says, hey, you've got the show coming up in three days. Here's all the information that was provided by the guest. It emails the guest and says, is there anything else that you want to add last minute before we go live? And, you know, and then we go and re we record and it, you know, it handles all that stuff. And then afterward, all the follow-up again is, you know, automating that because people are like, well, how do I grow my audience? Well, the most effective way to grow your audience is to post your episodes where people are looking for content. So like Reddit and DZone and things like that. And then the other thing is if you have guests have your guests promote it because they have a following yeah definitely. and so you know 
automating all of that because otherwise you have to remember to go send all those emails. So your, your lean testing is basically like doing something like this, like just at, inviting people to the show. Like this is your lean testing. Yeah. In fact, I was hoping to get the, the onboarding piece done, but uh, I had an overwhelming response when I sent an email out and said, Hey, do any of you audience members want to come on the show? And so I was, I've re- I was thinking that you get tons of people. I was like, I happened to see it right then. I just, yeah. That. yeah, I was, yeah. This is the 16th podcast episode I've recorded this week. Okay, wow. (laughs) Just to give you an idea, right? So I was hoping to spend a day or two doing that and instead I've been recording, which is not a bad thing. And I really enjoyed talking to people. But yeah, I was hoping... So next week, I'm hoping to add all of those episode recording schedule into into the system and then have it automatically send out the emails. Okay, yeah. And so I'll be testing it with the guests and with my co-hosts and getting that all together... And then the next piece is putting it in so that it's like, invite so-and-so to the show. And then it just checks your recording schedule against your regular recording times or available times. And then just emails them and says, hey, we've got times on this day at this time, this day at this time, and this day at this time. I find What I find really interesting about ideas like this is that it's almost like it's only somebody that does love podcasting can see. So yeah. Like- like to me, I'm sitting here like it's you lost me along the way, but that's because because like I don't do podcasting, I don't understand these problems. Yeah, same way. Yeah. Like, you don't have that problem. I'll explain the problem of like that I'm solving to people mm-hmm. that are, like they don't understand. It's cool. It sounds it sounds like you uh, you have some experience that is uh, unique that you you're, uh, you're having a unique solution there. That's interesting. Yep. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting about that is that you know the more I talk to people about it, it's funny people keep their ideas close to the vest. The more I talk to people about it, the more good ideas I get, and that's always interesting too, just to see how that comes out. So it's another huge lesson I learned as an entrepreneur is like get over yourself. <laughs> yeah. Nobody cares. Like, like until they do care, until you make them care. Well, the other thing is, is you know people get worried that they're going to have their ideas stolen. It's yeah. so hard to convey the idea. Like, if you can, if you can convey the idea in such a simple terminology, like, let them steal it. Like, it's the execution and how you're like have thought it through that really matters for sure. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, it's it's interesting to see where it goes. But yeah. So after this, I still have two more podcast episodes to record. So, but 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 yeah, it's it's been interesting just to go through that process. And I mean, people who are entrepreneurs, they look at the they look at the solutions that the technology provides different from people who are. Career programmers or freelancers. So, oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, 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 oh. So you're saying, okay, interesting. So you look at it in terms of what solutions can I provide that are going to make this offering better? And a lot of career folks and freelance folks, it's what can I do to make my boss or my client happy? Huh. Interesting. And so, and so you don't look at it as, as strategically because you've essentially outsourced that part of it to somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Fascinating. Yeah. Cool. So did we get into what you're working on now? Is it mostly the mobile app then? Or yeah, are there other things you're working on? Yeah, it's, right now it's just design. I've very intentionally said, I'm not going to code anything. I'm just going to like... So like I'm in this period. It's really hard for me because I really love coding now. And like, it's really hard. But like, I want to just code stuff all the time. But like, I know that that's not a smart thing to do right now. Except for some, there's some admin bugs that I'm fixing and I'm, I'm honing the text processing pipeline. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to incorporate Google's NLP API into our pipeline. But mostly, but mostly it's just design stuff and, and just putting it in front of people and testing and making sure that uh, the design is good. I'm getting the designer on board and, and yeah, not as much coding as I'd like. I'm, I'm trying, I'm very much trying to keep my education, keep on learning. I don't know if you have any advice how I can continue. But a lot of what I, a lot of how I learn is just learning by doing. And yeah, I'm like, the same way. I learned, I learned, I took 12 years of, of Spanish in school 
and I couldn't speak damn lick of Spanish. And uh, that's actually how I got really frustrated and started learning Spanish. It's like, mm-hmm. okay. so I just threw myself into the fire and just, that's how you learn. And that's how the same with coding so far. But um, I'm not sure if you agree with that or if there's anything like anything that I can do to further my education right now, I'm doing free code camp. I'm just, go, I, I've blown through yeah. the free camp and I'm trying to just go through all of it and just get a solid, anything that I miss. Most of it I know, but a lot of it, it there's some like, there's little gems in there that I get like, Oh, that's cool. I don't know if there's any yeah. advice about that. Well, it sounds like you have some of the same problem I do, which is just time constraints and prioritizing. And that makes it tricky. Knowing what to learn is a completely different decision process. And basically, it just comes down to what are you trying to get to? You know, where, what are you aiming at? And there's not really a right answer. <laughs> yeah, there's not really a right answer. You kind of have to figure that out on your own. So, yeah. okay, that's what I thought. I mean, I, I am eventually, I, I have a video course I want to make on how to stay current. But yeah, the the first part of it is basically a big fat, it depends, here's how I make this decision. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I have any questions uh, right at the moment. Um, if people want to find you online, where do they go? Right now, there's not a great place to go. They can follow me on Twitter, I guess. I don't, I don't, uh, Miguel Ray, I don't have a great place online. I probably should have that. <laughs> All right. Well, the last part of this episode is picks. Do you have some things you want to shout out about? Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. So where do we get your product for one? Jay Balvin is a great artist I'm listening to right now. Manu Chow is another great artist I'm listening to right now. I don't know if if the people are interested in Spanish language music. (laughs) The the product is going to be called Coco Mio. It's called Coco Mio. Uh, You cannot find it. Right now, uh, you, you can see my prototype on kokomio.rokuapp.com that I built to learn. And uh, it's pretty full featured there, but I'm um, missing data. But it's kind of not in production. It's just sitting there waiting for uh, our mobile app to, to take the lead there. But yeah, n- nothing, else, nothing else in particular that uh, I want to shout out about. <laughs> cool. Sounds good. So my picks, I have a few picks here. Uh, one is I've really been enjoying getting into Vue.js. So if you're looking for a front-end framework that, that does interesting stuff, you can do Vue.js. Uh, we just did an episode on Ionic with Vue.js. We recorded it yesterday. I think it comes out in a few weeks. So uh, that, was, that was definitely fun. In fact, uh, more so far ahead on my Ruby story that by the time this comes out, uh, it came out about a month or two ago, folks. So uh, anyway, go, go check out that episode if you're interested in Vue and your episode in, interested in mobile. And then one other thing that I'm going to pick and this is just because we talked about uh, the booking of uh, podcast guests. 
anyway, uh, John Papa, I mentioned that he emailed and asked what I'm doing now. What I'm doing now is I'm using appointment slots on Google Calendar. So it's a new feature in Google Calendar. You just set up uh, an appointment in your calendar and you tell it it's appointment slots instead of an event. And then you can get in and you can say, okay, I want 45 minute slots and it just lines everything up. And so uh, that's what Michael went through. He clicked on the link and it showed him what I had open. And then he... So yeah, that, that's pretty much how it works. We've moved all of our shows over to that. So I'm getting ready to uh, say bye-bye to uh, Schedule Once because that's what I was using before. But anyway, so that's kind of what we're looking at these days. And yeah, that that's all we got. So uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. I have another interview in five minutes. So I'm going to jump off and get ready for that. But thanks for coming, Michael. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. All right, we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up. We'll catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.